0: You are listening to the Sermons Podcast of First Baptist Church, Mount Washington. Well, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5 this morning. Romans chapter 5. We uh, return to our study on this awesome letter. Chapter 5 begins kind of a new theme, a new section. Uh, that focuses on uh, the assurance uh, of the gospel, the new life that we have with Christ. And so chapters 5 all the way to chapter 8 is a a well-developed statement about that theme, about the security of salvation that comes to a believer having been justified or saved by God. And, and uh, just as a kind of an introduction to the, the, the chapters, there's several hints about this theme. I would mention a couple of to you uh, this morning. Number one is that verses 1 and 2 here in chapter 5 is one kind of long sentence uh, in the Greek. I know uh, your translation probably has punctuations in different places, but it's actually one long sentence. And uh, it's where Paul begins with justification there in, in verse 1, but he ends with uh, glorification. He calls it the hope of glory. Um, It's not that Paul forgets about the middle, which is the life that we're living now, our sanctification, but he wants to make the connection that once we are justified, um, that, that our salvation is so sure, he ties it directly to our glorification. Uh, to the final result of our lives when we will stand uh, before God, having been made perfect, uh, declared right, made right uh, before God, perfected in Christ, standing before Him, the moment that we call glorification. We see that in another place uh, toward the end of the section, chapter 8, verse 30, when he writes, "...and, though, and those whom he predestined, he also called..." And those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified." Now notice he does it again, he leaves out sanctified, which is kind of in between justification and glorification, not because he doesn't believe in it, because it's not particularly his theme here um, that he's trying to drive at, He, he is trying to emphasize the certainty of our salvation, the certainty that our justification brings, our eternal security in Christ. Now, the other theme that's connected to assurance is our union with Christ, our union with Christ. I want you to notice the word with. Let me give you just a sampling here. Chapter 6, uh, verse 5, uh, for if we have been united with Christ with him in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. So you hear the connection with in verse 8, chapter 6. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him. Uh, 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 Chapter 8, one more, verse uh, 16. Uh, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. And so you, you see the connection there. There's, there's many more, but, but there's a sampling there there's believers. Um, Who have been justified by God. We have died with Christ, we have rose with Christ, and we now live with Christ. And so, uh, I've entitled this section, The Assurance of the Gospel, which is new life with Christ. New life with Christ. So, that's the introduction to this section, chapters 5 through 8, and I'm sure there'll be more that we can add later. But let's turn our attention to the text today. How do we know that we're secure in our salvation? How do we know that we've been justified, that we've been saved uh, by God? Here's God's word to us. Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, please... Uh, in these moments speak to our hearts as only you can uh, through your word and through your spirit. Um, Guide our hearts and and our thoughts and our minds to, to be focused on you, to hear your word and to respond to that word. And I pray that you would use me as your servant. I pray that you would increase and I would decrease and your word would go forth. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a wonderful statement from Paul uh, here in in verse 1. There's no doubt that people seek after peace today, uh, and they seek uh, many times a peace that is an end in and of itself, Uh, that maybe it will come through a better job, they think. Maybe it will come through a new relationship. Maybe if they can get this circumstance changed. Uh, then they're going to have uh, peace. But Paul reminds us here that peace is, uh, is the fruit of the gospel. It's the, it's the result of a life of faith. Therefore, he says, since we have been justified, since we have been saved by God through faith, we have peace with God. We have peace with God. How can you be sure of your salvation? What's one of the first place that he points us to here in helping us to understand that we are secure in Christ, our salvation is secure? He says it's because we have peace with God. Peace with God. Now, there's a lot to say about this, we're just going to jump in and talk about this peace and what this means. First of all, notice the objective nature of peace. The objective nature of peace. We have peace with God. Now, now a lot of people, when they think about peace, one of the first thoughts that may come to our mind is that peace is in an emotional state. And we might describe describe that being defined as uh, the peace of God, the peace of God, which is different than having peace with God, the peace of God. Most of us believers, we treasure words like this, I do anyway, of Paul in Philippians 4, 6 when he says, don't be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And what does it say? The peace of God, of God, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. And so when worries and anxieties begin to pile up in our lives and we're anxious, we're told as Christians that we need to trust the Lord. We need to pray. We need to entrust ourselves to God. And verse 7, the peace of God will come and guard our hearts and minds. It's a personal peace. Uh, It's a wonderful peace, amen, church, aren't you thankful for that? Uh, By definition, it's in the context of anxieties and stresses and life, and so it's somewhat seasonal, it's somewhat emotional. Uh, It may ebb and it may flow depending on the circumstances of our lives. But the peace that Paul is talking about here in Romans 5 is not that peace. He's not talking about the peace of God. Rather, he's talking about a peace with God, and, and it's, critical, it's a critical distinction that we understand. The idea here in Romans 5 is not that we are anxious and we need to trust God more for this subjective peace that would come, but rather the fact that Paul has been saying we are at war with God and He with us because of our sin and through faith in Christ we are no longer at war with Him we're at peace. It's an objective status, if you will. The peace that he's talking about here is a condition. It's a, it's a status. In verse 10, you notice we'll eventually talk about how we were enemies with God. That's the phrase he used. We're enemies with God. We're at war with Him and, and He with us. It's so It's so difficult to think of it in terms of that way, to accept that, but it's true. You remember, Paul has been laboring to, to tell us this, beginning back in Romans 1.18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. The reality of all people is that we've committed treason against the God of the universe. Well, whether it's, listen, whether it's an active rebellion, you're shaking your fist, or whether it is a passive indifference, and an apathy toward God and the things of God. There's no difference in where that leaves a person. You are, according to the Bible, in your sinful rebellion, you are apart from salvation, you are an enemy of God. Psalm 7 is a a powerful and frightening testimony that describes this. Psalm 711 says that God is a righteous judge And a God who feels indignation every day. Who who does he feel indignation toward? Well, he answers it, verse 12. It pictures a God as a divine warrior against those who have not and will not repent of their sins. Verse 12: if a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. What what a terrifying picture in our sins. God is at war with us. He has his bow ready right now. He has his sword drawn right now to bring judgment on unrepentant sinners. Charles Spurgeon uh, comment, it's here that God never misses His mark either. <laughs> and His target is sinners. Well that's, just, you think, well, that's just, again, that's an Old Testament passage. We know that's not... But what does Jesus say then? John 3.36, Jesus says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him it remains on him God God's wrath remains present tense on him who is not saved the wrath of God presently currently the one that is revealed uh, he says, against all sinful men. And there are many other verses that describe this. John eight forty four, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, 1 Thessalonians 1.10, on and on. It's an irrefutable case. Every person is either in two conditions when it comes to God. The Bible teaches that you are either at war with God and He with you, or you have peace with God. One of two. And, and it, it's, a mon- it's a monumental thing, isn't it? Eternal kind of thing. Which one are you? Here's the good news of the gospel. The moment that a person puts their faith in Jesus Christ and God declares them justified or saved, we have peace with God. The war is over permanently. We go from God pointing His bow at us and raising His sword against us to Him now welcoming us as a son or a daughter through our faith in Jesus Christ. That's astonishing, isn't it? That that Jesus who died in our place, who took the wrath of God for us on the cross, that we might have peace with God. What a remarkable statement Paul is making here. No, I know some would say, why are we talking about this? Why are you talking? This is hellfire preaching. Aren't we past this? This is a modern age. Uh, why are we even talking about this stuff? We're talking about this stuff because the Bible has not changed. Amen. And God has not changed. These truths have not changed. Uh, some, of, some of you, perhaps, need to be awakened from a spiritual stupor that you're in. And, and you're not going to be awakened by me telling you something today like, wow, I'm, you're, I'm so glad you're here. You're such a good person. We're so blessed to have you in our presence. I mean, you've, you've lived your life uh, pretty much apart from God all week long. You haven't thought about Him since the last week. Uh, and, but, but boy, let me pat you on the back and tell you how wonderful and how good that you are and that God has a wonderful plan for your life. It's not true. It's not the truth. You're you're lost. You're, You're still in your sins. You're unrepenting of those sins. So it doesn't matter, again, if you're in outward rebellion against God, if you're the type of person that's angry and shaking your fist at him and rejecting and rebelling, or if you're just simply living your life in an indifference and apathy, God is at war with you. And our only hope is to look to Jesus Christ. Only through faith in Him uh, can we have peace with God, which leads us, secondly, to the importance of peace. The importance of peace. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. No matter how hard you try to find peace, uh, if it, it only comes through salvation, through uh, being justified by faith in Jesus Christ. So, I think there's a couple of things we should note here just thinking about this. First of all, the starting point of all spiritual blessings uh, uh, is peace with God. It's the beginning place. You, you have to start here. Um, is not the peace of God, but peace with God. That is your status, your relationship with Him. There, there are no spiritual blessings uh, until we've first been reconciled with God. Many people are trying to secure the peace of God or some other elusive, emotional, subjective kind of peace in the middle of a stressful world without having to be right with God. It's not going to happen. Now you might experience some brief moments of that. I'm sure maybe you have a vacation or something planned and you may be uh, sitting somewhere in the calm and tranquility under a shade tree somewhere and think about you're at peace or maybe a busy season at work is going to let up or maybe you'll rejoice when the kids' sports seasons are over and things calm down and you're going to have a temporary moment of peace. But it's not the same thing. It won't last. The prophet Isaiah said in, 40, in chapter 48 verse 22, there's no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked no peace the prophets the priest in Jeremiah's day were telling the people that they didn't need to worry about anything just don't worry about it peace as a matter of fact they were saying peace, peace that was their message. Peace, peace. They were preaching. Look how blessed that you are. Look at your, how blessed you are materially and physically and all of these different things. You don't need to worry. All this talk about needing to repent and turn back to God, that's, that's, not, that's, that's overrated. That's, that's not true. You just, you just need to come to Jesus as you are. You, just need to, you don't need to change anything. You don't need to, to do anything. It's not true. And we can, we can go home and we can lay our heads down on our pillows and sleep soundly having heard that, that you only need to think positive thoughts and all is going to be well pretending that you have peace with God you're saying in your mind peace, peace, peace and you know that you've not submitted your life to Christ there will be no peace our self-made religion will not save us on the day of judgment, you you will have been lulled into a false sense of peace, and you will be far worse off then than you are even now. The Bible says that we need peace with God. You need to be justified by faith in Jesus. The peace of God only comes when we have peace with God. All blessings flow from Him, and, and we can only... Uh, have them when we first have entered a relationship with God through Jesus the second thing I want you to notice is only when you have peace with God do you have security in your salvation how wonderful is it that Paul does not say here um, that uh, those who have been saved we are looking for this peace Uh, those who have been saved we're hoping to have this peace Uh, we're seeking uh, this peace no he says we have peace with God it's a done deal our salvation is is certain And this is why it becomes a test of our profession of faith in Jesus Christ. We are not looking to be saved. We are not hoping to be saved. We are saved in Christ if Christ is in you. We are not looking for forgiveness from God or hoping for this forgiveness. No, in Christ, we have been forgiven by Him. So much so that Paul will say in chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. None! None! He will say it again at the end of chapter 8. I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Those are wonderful words, church. Having been justified, we have peace with God. We can be sure of it, he says. We can rest in this peace. We can rejoice in this peace. Brothers and sisters, if you have Christ in your life, you have him, he and you, you have peace with God. No one or nothing, no circumstance can take that away. It's sure. That's what we need to think about this question. Do we have it? Are we at peace with him? Can you say with certainty that this is true in your life? Because there, there are results of the of sense of false, false peace. So let's turn our minds finally to the results of peace. The results of peace. How do you know if you have peace with God? There's several things here that might be sort of a a test, an examination as we're thinking about our hearts and lives in light of this verse. First of all, a person who has peace with God will have a restful mind. They'll have a restful mind, particularly concerning his relationship with God. Remember, faith not only involves your heart and your will, but it does involve your mind. It does involve the truth. There's a knowledge, there's a content that you must believe in. Steve Lawson put it like this, saving faith begins when you know the truth of the gospel, the truth about yourself, the truth of the fact that you are under the wrath of God and that salvation is found exclusively in Jesus Christ. There's no peace, true peace, until your mind has grasped this doctrine. Your, your mind has, has received this and hold on to this, believe this, rest in this, rejoice in this doctrine. Uh, Lloyd-Jones likens it to, uh, um, uh, talks about how it, it, it's really important concerning the, answering the accusations of our own conscience. And perhaps you can resonate with something like this because thoughts will arise in your mind or doubts will come up in your mind from time to time about this. How can you think that you're at peace with God? You ever heard that voice in your mind? How do you claim to have this? Look at yourself. Look at your sinfulness. How would God, how could He possibly forgiven you? You see, the one who has been justified by God, who has peace with God, knows this doctrine, believes this doctrine. He is able to say, there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. His faith rests on Christ and His work. And Jones in Facts gives an illustration of a compass. He talks about how faith is like a needle of a compass. It's, it's always there, but magnetically pointing to the north. It's possible to interrupt the compass. You can drop it, you can put a magnet on it, you can make it do some things, you can jar it, you can. But, but similarly, our faith can be jarred or it can be deflected, but it will always return back to God, to true north. We know it because His Word tells us so. So do you know this? Is your mind at rest in this? Not in some whimsical kind of doctrine where you're not sure, but one in which you believe the gospel, the Word of God. A second test, I think, is a humble spirit. A humble spirit. Uh, and we've we've been singing about this this morning, If, if you've truly been saved and have peace with God, there's something remarkably humbling about that. There's a sense in which why, and we've captured it in some of the songs, grace and peace. How can it be, right? How can this message be true? The man who has peace with God never ceases to be amazed with this fact. And the fact that he, the first that he's ever been saved to begin with, he, he can't imagine it, that God looked up on him with such love and grace and called him and saved him in this way. You remember uh, Abraham's faith described in chapter 4, verse 20, says that no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. The characteristic that that of a Christian that you often see in the New Testament, one that is has peace with God, is humility. It's 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 a poor in spirit. It's meekness, it's lowly, it's, it's humble, it's thankful, it's recognizing that you did nothing to earn this, nothing to achieve this, nothing to merit this gift of peace, and yet somehow you have this, and you can't help but, but to be grateful to God and overcome with a sense that you have it. Do you have that? Does that characterize you? A third result is a knowledge of God's love. And we'll look at this closer in a few weeks, but just a glimpse at verse 5, that the person who has peace with God recognizes that phrase, that God's love has been poured into our hearts. And in verse 8, God shows his love for us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. What wonderful truth. How do we know that we have peace with God? Because we look to the cross, don't we? We look to the cross, we were troubled, and rightly so, because of our standing before God, and then we look at Jesus dying on the cross, hanging there, being buried on the third day, rising again. It is not mere emotion that we base these things on, it is not speculation or sentiment that we base these things on, but that God has demonstrated, He has showed us His love for us. We know that He loves us because of the cross of Jesus Christ. Christ. Nothing is more wonderful than knowing that God loves you. And that, that can only happen if you've been justified and have peace with God. You know, the person who has a false peace will constantly be looking to his or her own works. And they'll be wondering, have I done enough? I wonder if, he, if I've done enough for him to love me enough. I wonder if I've done enough to have peace with God, but the person who has peace will constantly look to the cross and say, you know what, Jesus did enough for me. Fourth, those who have peace with God have an answer for Satan's attacks. Satan's attacks, You. you will his accusations. Because you're not only going to encounter doubts in your mind, but Satan's going to accuse you. John Newton the writer of Amazing Grace there's a reason why he the Lord led him to write that song that was because he was an amazing sinner before he wrote that that hymn and uh, after he was saved it seemed like the devil would often remind him of his past he writes this the devil voiced to him do you still claim to be a Christian forgiven and at peace with God and Newton writes this he says what can I tell him When the devil, when he accuses me like this, I cannot tell him that I'm a good man. I cannot tell him about my past or even my present. There's only one way that I can silence him, he writes. Only one answer. Jesus Christ died for me and my sin. That's our only answer. By the blood of Christ, the lamb we've overcome. Can you say that? Is that the driving conviction and core of the assurance of your salvation that Jesus died for you? And and again, Lloyd-Jones raises an important point here that the man who has a false peace is never troubled by these accusations or doubts. In fact, it's a warning. This is where Satan perhaps makes a mistake. If you're the, the kind of person perhaps uh, that, that, that uh, never has accusations or doubts ab- about this, there's a counterfeit that is often too good to be true. There's a hardness of heart that can come upon you. I mean, if you can sit through evangelistic sermon and hear the gospel and never feel uncomfortable at all, never feel anything of of gratitude in your own heart for the salvation that you have, then do you have it at all? Beware of this. If Satan is not accusing you or you don't have any doubts and you think you are fine and healthy, be warned about this. Paul said, In Philippians 2.12, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. If there's not something in your life of fear and trembling that is present, it may be that God has not worked in your heart. But when Satan accuses, we run to Christ. A fourth test, a desire for holiness. A desire for holiness. A person who has peace with God cares... About this uh, because when you recognize what Christ has done and you've believed and taken him into your life your desires change your heart change you, you want to leave your sin behind first John 3 3 says everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure Th- that person who with a false sense of peace is only interested in forgiveness and not holiness They're, they're, they don't want to go to hell. They just want, you know, so they, they just want to be forgiven. They're not concerned about holiness and walking with the Lord. They, they take their sins often much too lightly. They don't think about it in these terms. Almost as soon as they commit this sin, they just think, oh, the blood of Jesus covers that, and they just go on like nothing has ever happened. There's a shallowness there. But the man who has true peace with God... A, a Christian, a man who has has had a glimpse of hell, and he knows that it's only because Christ that he's not going there, and therefore he hates his sin. It grieves him. He wants to live a holy life. He doesn't take it lightly. He desires holiness. Montgomery Boyce writes it like this, "...the conviction that a person is secure in Christ, that is, once saved, always saved... It's mere presumption if there's not an inevitable corresponding and necessary growth in righteousness and victory over sin following conversion. That's right. You know, I, I think about and I wonder if for far too long that the message from, coming from many American pulpits has been that it is possible to be saved without entering into sanctification. That, that uh, to, to be eternally secure in Christ and yet not showing any evidence of having life with Christ? It's no wonder that there's little difference that people see from the church and the world today. And it may be because many who consider themselves to be Christians are, are not saved that this reality is true. What will mark us as having peace with God? It will be a desire for holiness. We recognize what we've been saved from. Finally, the absence of fear. Concerning death and judgment. Death and judgment. You know, the the carnal man, the unsaved man, is afraid of God by nature. He's perhaps afraid of the very idea of God and the prospect of judgment. He doesn't want to think about death because there's no peace in those thoughts. But you know, the one who has peace with God, we can sing songs like this. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. Amen? We can sing songs that say, because he lives, all fear is gone. Because he lives. We no longer have to be afraid of death and judgment. Because Jesus has defeated both of them on his cross and through his resurrection. So the one who has peace with God is not afraid to meet him in death. Are you? Is your mind at rest concerning your relationship with God? Do you know where you stand? Is there a sense of humility? Uh, in, in you and, and what it took to provide your peace Jesus death and resurrection does gratefulness mark your life are you certain of God's love for you through the cross do you have an answer when Satan attacks when he accuses when doubts are, arise do, do you desire holiness are you pursuing that holiness and have you been freed from death the fear of death and and judgment these are all the marks of someone who has peace with God. Do they mark you? If so, today what assurance you have in your salvation. Blessed assurance. If you don't have peace with God today, know this. Colossians 1:20 says that Jesus came to reconcile to himself all things, whether in, on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus has already done everything necessary to make your peace with God. But you must turn. You must turn from your sinful rebellion, from your spiritual apathy, and you must look to Jesus alone to save you. Will you? Will you today? Lord, we thank you for your word to us and thank you... That uh, since being justified, that we have peace with God, Lord, inscribe this on our hearts that we might be assured of the salvation that we have through our new life with Christ. But for those Lord that may be here who don't have it, I pray that you would impress upon them the seriousness of this and of their need. To turn either from their rebellion or perhaps even to turn from their apathy and spiritual indifference. To know the truth about God, the truth about themselves, and, to, and the truth, the glorious truth about Jesus. To put their faith in Him as their Savior and Lord. We thank you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.